Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Stuttering Foundation podcast. This is your host, Sarah McIntyre, recording from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I am welcomed again by Vivian Siskin as our guest for our fourth part of this four-part arts miniseries to kick off season six in January 2024. If you haven't already listened to the first three mini episodes that dropped earlier this month, I do recommend going back and listening to those prior to this episode. It will just provide a little bit of context and background. But in the event that you are just tuning into this episode, we are going to read Vivian's bio again, just to give some background and context to listeners. After I read Vivian's bio, we will just resume right on into our conversation. Hope you all have enjoyed this series as much as I have. Vivian Siskin is a clinical professor emerita at the University of Maryland, an ASHA fellow, and a board-certified specialist in fluency disorders. She served as coordinator for ASHA's special interest group for fluency disorders, chair of ASHA's council for clinical certification in audiology and speech-language pathology, and received ASHA's media champion award. Iskin served as vice chair of the American Board on Fluency and Fluency Disorders and is a faculty member for the Stuttering Foundation's Mid-Atlantic Workshop. She was named Speech-Language Pathologist of the Year by the National Stuttering Association, and she owns the Siskin Stuttering Center in the Washington, D.C. area. So we'll just be resuming our conversation here. Where do we want to go? Maybe to talk about some of the active ingredients I love that. Therapy, you know, because people ask me all the time, especially group members, being in the group very often, you know, we have multiple groups and, you know, they move around to different groups and they meet new people and they see somebody who seems to be like their, their role model. This person's made so much change. They, why can't I make that same change? They compare themselves to somebody else. And I get a lot of questions like, so that person, I've been here for like two years, and that person came in a month ago, and they're gone already. And they're not gone because they didn't like the therapy. They're gone because they're done. <laughs> What's different about them? You know, is it basic self-confidence? Is it about risking? What is it that are the active ingredients for change? And I, I think about this a lot. I don't know. I, we do need to do some research in this area. And I would love to find out what really are the active ingredients in arts so that people can take it and put it into other forms of therapy as well. It doesn't have to be this form of therapy. But as I think about it, so I'll share my thoughts about it. And I have, and honestly, Sarah, I don't know if this is true or not. These are just my thoughts about what the active ingredients are. and We'd have to test it out. But those people who are not afraid to do something different, okay? So they are planning, they're taking action, they're evaluating. And so that sort of doing, that action is important. And doing something different is, 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 the, is the thing. They're not just doing something every day, but doing something different and experimenting. And sometimes that includes risk-taking. So I think risking is another active ingredient whether it's facing fears or giving permission to self and others to feel something or think something, permission giving is huge because we don't get permission. We don't get permission for us to struggle, to stutter, to think, to feel. It's all bad. And so risking, I think, is another active ingredient. I think I mentioned this earlier too. It's basically letting go or doing less. 
So instead of here are some strategies to help you be more comfortable as a speaker. Here are some techniques you can do which will reduce struggle. We're adding things on. And sometimes, believe it or not, we're adding on self-acceptance as one more thing that the child has to do or the adult has to do. Not only do you have to do these these speech exercises, and not only do you have to do these these easy onsets or pullouts or whatever you have to, but you also have to accept yourself. All these things that the person has to do. And I really think doing less is the key. And I don't even know if anybody else agrees with me, but I, I to me, it's like, what should I do? I say less. <laughs> Please do less. Another one is this ability to, I would call it role enactment. The ability to enact the role of person who stutters multiple times during the day, getting out of that covert role, getting out of the role of somebody who doesn't stutter, getting out of the wishing not to stutter, hoping not to stutter, pretending that you're someone who doesn't stutter in everywhere you go and getting into the idea of like, I'm presenting myself as a person who stutters, showing stuttering is aligned with who I am, my authentic self. And being able to enact the role of stutterer is an important one. And there are many ways to do it. We explore in therapy. And I don't know if these, I have a couple other things that I'm thinking of, and I'm not sure if they're active ingredients or if they're client characteristics. But I might say, and not for everyone, but I also think for many people, being willing to be vulnerable is another one. Vulnerability is another one not having fear of being your authentic self, even if it's somebody you didn't like for much of your life, because you're going to begin liking that person a lot. (laughs) And then the last one, which I think is really important, I know, Sarah, you'll agree with me on this one, is sharing with others and support community. Really, really important. Can I talk for a moment about support and community within our arts framework? So more recently, which I love, there are so many ways for people who stutter to become involved in supporting community. There are nonprofit organizations that offer self-help or support groups. There are online communities. There are social media groups. There are so many ways to engage with the stuttering community. And I think it's beautiful. It's a big change that I wish we had the technology and ability to do years and years ago. We didn't. But The way I um, sort of put it into place even before we had technology and understanding on how to do that, the group therapy setting is something that I think is important. And also, even in our community, our arts community, we have an arts community, which is everybody who has been through the program is involved in community, which is a closed community, obviously. But if you want to reach out to somebody, there's always a way to do that. I think participatory training is really important where people who stutter train the speech pathologists because their perspectives and how they changed is the way is most important message to the speech language therapists. So our arts trainings include mentors and having mentors and mentoring others is a huge part of what we do. And I will set people up with a mentor even if they're not in the group, somebody who's been in therapy a while ago, somebody I think they're going to relate to for a variety of reasons, or somebody says, I can't do this. I can't do that. I want some. Do you know anybody who's done that? 
and I'll set them up. And I am shocked to find how open and inviting and and generous people are with their time to mentor new members of our arts community. And I I was giving a, a workshop online recently, and somebody asked me about this, and I I got kind of emotional, but I'm going to retell this story. I did an in-person arts workshop a few years ago where the mentors coming in were all members of our women's covert group at one point or another. They were all covert women. And they were all coming in as mentors, so I decided I'm going to put them all on a panel, okay? So people, it was a break and people were milling around and chatting with each other. And I said, right after the break, we're going to hear from these covert women who have been through arts. And they were sort of milling around. And then they said, should we just go sit up there? The chairs were up front, you know, like in a semicircle. And I said, no, I'm going to put you in your chairs. And so um, they said, what? You know, usually they just go sit in a you know, semicircle. And I said, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there. And they all sat down. And at one point when, during the panel, when we were talking about mentorship and they were beginning to talk about who helped them and who talked to them, I said, I would like all of you to look at the person on your left. That was your mentor. Okay. And everybody went, oh, and they started crying. Okay. Then I said, now everybody look to the person on your right. I said, that's somebody who you are mentoring. And they, oh my God. And then they started hugging that way. And then the person on the end said, and it makes sense since I've only been in therapy for a month. (laughs) She was sitting on the end. (laughs) I said, pretty soon you're going to be mentoring somebody. And by golly, she is. She absolutely is. So that was a powerful moment, I think, for people who were in the training. And I think us as clinicians who feel so deeply about the change that we can help our clients make, understanding the power of mentorship and wanting to bottle it up and give it out to everybody we can, you know? Yes. So many yeses there. Uh, 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 I have a couple groups going right now, not nearly as many as you have, but that that there was a moment in last week's group where everyone shared something that someone else inspired them to either sort of shift in their thinking or 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 take some sort of action in that direction and it was so beautiful and we all sort of sat with that for a little bit from both perspectives um what a lovely moment what a great moment that must have been yeah I love that. One thought I had when you're talking about support and community, you know, I think there's sometimes some people are like, well, I don't know if that's for me. You know, I'm never really going to love stuttering. I I, I have s- 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 some things I want to change, some things I want to do, but I don't know if this whole kumbaya thing is for me. Um, what do you What do you usually say to that? Well, I, I, I like, first of all, I think when somebody says that there are reasons for it. And mm-hmm. so I'm not going to then say you need to come to group, obviously. And we try to explore what it is. Very often, it's the notion of, and I, there's so many reasons, but being around other people who stutter, 
it's 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 sort of contraindicated to the way that they behave by pushing stuttering out of their their view by hiding from it and having to listen to other people talk about it and talk about things that they have gone through that they have suppressed or they are traumatizing for them when they remember remember them that can be a, di- a difficult situation and so sometimes a client does better with a little work individually before they enter the group especially if group is going to re-traumatize them. I think it's really important to be sensitive to that. I think also they don't understand that group, they think group is a support group where everybody just sits around and chats about their stuttering and complains about how awful it is and how our teens might say it sucks, right? But I think understanding that an arts group is very different than a support group. A therapy group is very different than a support group. And very often I say, people say, I have an arts group. And I say, they say it meets once a month and on a university campus or whatever it is. I say, is this a support group or is it a therapy group? And very often they don't know the difference. And I have to say that a true arts group or therapy group, each person has goals and objectives. Yes, there is a therapy plan for each person. It's very important that they are working towards something and not just talking. There is a person who is coaching them. There is a therapist there who's guiding them toward their goals and facilitating their change and providing counseling and encouraging other members to support somebody who is guiding group dynamics and, and is helping develop alliances within the group. It's, it's very different than people just sharing you know, in, in, a, in a support group. And there's also a lot of problem solving going on in the group as well. And so I think that when people realize that it's not going to be sitting around, like you say, the kumbaya thing, the group, they have to, when they go to the group and they observe the group, they learn what everybody is working on. So they get a slice of arts. Let's say there's seven people in the group that day. They're going to get a different slice of the journey. And that I would say that, that changes the fear or the boredom of listening to somebody else's problems or the, I want to deal with my problems. I don't want to hear anybody else's problems that, or I don't want to hear other people stutter because it makes me realize that that's how bad I could be, you know, that kind of thing. And it brings people back to this idea of finding a role model, a sense of belonging, believe it or not, creativity. When you hear somebody develop a creative assignment, stimulates your creativity to think outside the box that you were only by yourself with the clinician you have two people to talk you have in this situation you have you know i call it the wagon wheels you don't want the, you don't want the clinician to be in the middle talking to each client you want each person to be interacting and sharing and encouraging and yes there's some competition in group too believe it or not you know if he can do it i can do it right and so, gee, this is a this is the the spreadsheet I use to record my assignments. You know, I'm sharing it with all of you. It was helpful for me. That sharing and giving is there. Problem solving is there, as I mentioned before. This helps with the culture shift in arts. And so, we didn't talk about culture shift today, but the process of therapy is very much a shift in culture, away from valuing fluency to valuing communication. 
um, instead of looking at how many times you stutter to look at how you stutter. And so there's this huge change in culture that only happens when you can be in the culture that you are going to join. You can't assimilate to a culture without being in it. And so I really believe that without the community and support, it's very hard to make that cultural shift. So mm-hmm. I hope that sort of answers the question there. Yeah. Very thoroughly. That was excellent. Is there anything that you want to close with? Or what are no, you thinking? I'm, I'm just thinking that this was such a joyful conversation and how much fun I had doing this. And I'm looking at the time and how did that much time go by when we were talking about fun stuff, you know? So just thank you for the opportunity and being able to share some of these ideas for people who have never been exposed or even for those people who know a little bit about it, but want to know more. Thank you. It was so much fun. Well, I, I think I probably speak for everyone. And and I think the thanks goes to you for your time and, and for your wisdom and expertise and, and just how you word and say things. I think even uh, I'd, I'd include the the more experienced clinicians in, in, in into that mix too, because hearing how you explain things, hearing these concepts, pulling from examples, different metaphors and analogies, I think it just helps us all to broaden how we think about some things. I think the worst spot we can be in as clinicians is to think that we have it all exactly how it should be. And I think that I want to always kind of keep an open open mind and open ears to wanting to add to my, I don't know, semantic repertoire and understanding as many do. One final thing I could possibly say would be that if there are people who are interested in getting training in arts, um, you can go to our website, Siskin Stuttering Center, and you can get advance notice of trainings. We do both virtual and we do in-person arts trainings, and we have a number coming up. So it's fun to get together with people and just have more talk about these kind of topics. <laughs> Absolutely. I-, I attended the most recent training and it and you know it's over a course of a few days so everyone listening and you're thinking wow I don't feel like I have it all from from this that would make sense I think that it it takes time and I can't recommend the trainings enough so p- please keep your your eyes out for announcements for the next next opportunities through through you all uh, 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 I'm gonna also link in the description your YouTube channel open stutter I know that I use that all the time and sending different clients different specific videos that I think would be really helpful for them or just having them explore on their own and maybe some past podcasts or webinars that you've done that might be of interest to listeners for further learning too. Yeah, I would recommend the one that you did with Ben Goldstein on Arts is for Kids. I thought that was fabulous. So yeah. Me too. I might be biased, but that was that was <laughs> such a fun conversation too with Ben. <laughs> So I'll link all those things. And again, thank you so much. I feel really honored to be able to to grab the, 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 this large chunk of your time. And, and I know listeners will learn so much. So thank you again. Thanks, Sarah. Sure. Sending a thank you to listeners. We look forward to being with you again next month. Bye. Bye.